So that's the scene uh, as we head into the book of Acts. Uh, we're not uh, in a series in Acts. We're in a series called Around the Well. What does it look like to be the Well Community Church? Uh, why do we name ourselves the Well? It's often a question I get. Uh, what does it look like to be the local church in this time and place here around the Well? The book of Acts is uh, a continuation of the story of all that Jesus began to do and teach. Did you see how Luke said that in verse 1, that first sentence of the book? I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up. So uh, in the book of Luke, we have all this kind of beginning stuff of Jesus' work as he lived on the earth and he, he lived a perfect life and he died in our place and he resurrected. But that was just the beginning. Then we have the book of Acts, and this is all that God now is continuing to do uh, in Jesus' work to, to bring relationship with the living God, to bring restoration to His creation. And, and, and how, now we see the Spirit is going to be poured out as the promised one to do in the local church all that Jesus had begun when He walked the earth and now does in the book of Acts, chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, 28, and now we are chapter 29, 30, and ongoing as we see God doing all that he began to do back then through Jesus. Then as he poured out the Spirit. And now as we see him overflowing and continuing to do the work that God had planned. That's what life around the well is uh, shaped by. The very person and work of Jesus now carried out in the Holy Spirit through his local church us the well. So we looked at how, you know, uh, we want to be a, a well where community gathers around a well, where outsiders come in. That was the Samaritan woman, right? Uh, she was always excluded and pushed out, but now she's welcomed in around the well. How the well itself is the source of living water that Jesus himself in John chapter 7 says, I am living water and life, salvation now and to come. And now we're going to look at how, how God says, I'm going to pour out my spirit to do in and through you, church, all I have planned by pouring him out in you that you might overflow the grace of God, bringing relationship with the living God and restoration to creation around you. Okay, so let's get into it. Uh, Jesus has promised that the spirit is coming. Uh, he, he spent 40 days uh, with the disciples after his resurrection. He's, man, would have been an awesome 40 days with Jesus. And, and then it's the, uh, the 50th day, Pentecost, right? Uh, seven Sundays after Easter, uh, the 50th day when the, the Spirit will now be poured out on the people of God to overflow like we desire here at the well. And he's promised to them, uh, he is coming, verses 4 and 5, wait, wait in Jerusalem. For the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So wait there. We know what we most want by what we're waiting for. You know what you want by what you're waiting for. Maybe, maybe it's that spouse or your kid to graduate or, or get a better grade or you to get that uh, next promotion. I want this because I'm waiting for it. And the disciples have a, a misplaced want. It's too little, too myopic, too small. And they say to him, we are waiting for you to restore Israel. Verse 6. 
we thought this was all about us and our culture and our little worlds and us getting free from the Romans so that we could do our thing as the Jewish people. And, and Jesus looks at him and says, I have a much bigger plan for you and you're waiting for it in the spirit when he comes to do this mighty, massive, multi-ethnic conquering of the whole world for the gospel. Notice what he says. It's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Lord is fixed by his own authority, but you will receive. Remember what you're waiting for. Power from the Holy Spirit when he's come upon you. That he'll create you and to be what? That you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea, in Samaria, and to the end of the earth. You're waiting for something such, so much bigger than you expected. You're waiting for that moment when the Holy Spirit will come and you'll have an intimate relationship with the living God himself. You're waiting for that moment when the, the Spirit will come and, and he'll redeem everything and make it the way that you long for it to be. It's not just about you and your little world and your little ethnicity. It's about everyone coming together to make this new creation, this new humanity, this new relationship with the living God where he will dwell in you and you will be his temple altogether. And he will pour in you and over you to restore all things the way they ought to be. Notice the overflow of how it occurs in the promise of the Spirit to come. It's going to start in Jerusalem, right where you are. But then it's going to overflow to all of southern Israel and Judea. And then the work that God has planned, it's going to flow all the way into the north of Israel and to Samaria. And then it's going to keep going all the way to the end of the earth. God is doing something in his local church that goes far beyond Silver Spring. But it doesn't skip over Silver Spring. It doesn't skip over your individual life or your family, your neighborhood, your coworkers, your friends. God wants to transform us by his presence and his intimacy and his power. And then he wants to spill over us into our neighborhoods and our county into our state, into our country, and, and, and that we would see a movement of God go out in, in us first, but then through us by his grace. And Jesus says, wait in Jerusalem because that day is coming. And they say, okay, we will. And, and then he ascends into heaven from the uh, Mount of Olives. And, and they are blown away. Like verse 10 and 11, you see it happen. They are standing there, right? And then uh, they're gazing into heaven as he went. And behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand? I love that phrase. <laughs> It captures our problem as the church. Jesus says, I, I promise I'm going to do something in you and through you. It's going to blow your minds by, by the grace and the power and the might of God to make you witnesses to proclaim who Jesus is and what he's done and, and bring his blessing into the neighborhoods and the county and the country around you. And we just do this, uh... And we sit in our pews and we hide in our comfy houses and behind white picket fences and, and we live our own lives and we just stand... And then God kind of taps us on the shoulder and says, why are you just standing there? Don't you know this Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven? 
he will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. He's created this window of time from when he ascended to when he'll return. And he has planned a mighty work in and through us for the sake of the gospel. So let's not just stand. Let's see when the Spirit is poured out on us, let's watch him overflow through us for the work of God. So that's just what occurs in chapter 2, right? Uh, This is Pentecost. This is 50 days later, the seventh Easter after Sunday. The day of Pentecost arrived, and they're all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. See, the disciples are all together. They've just replaced Judas with Matthias, and they're, they're there waiting for the promised Holy Spirit in Jerusalem. And divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues. And the Spirit gave them as the Spirit gave them utterance. And now they are dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in their own language. So uh, get the scene. And this is weird. I mean, being a Christian is weird. It's weird. Because here's what we believe. We, we believe that God himself, when he reconciles relationship with an individual believer, and when he reconciles his church to himself in Christ, that he actually comes to dwell in us. That the living God says, I want to make you my home. Galatians 2.20 says, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but what Christ lives in me. Colossians 1, chapter 27 says, here's the mystery of the glory that God in us, the hope of glory, right? Or Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17, that that we see God himself dwell in us. And this is what occurs in this moment, that everything we ever wanted, the, the, the living God himself, our Father whom we were estranged from, comes to live and dwell with us. The, the new covenant come to reality. The promise everyone was waiting for. He has come to live in us. And what does he do? What does he do? How does Jesus continue his work in us, his church? Well, it's really marked by two major things. That's where we'll spend our time. The first major thing is look what happens over and over again. They began to speak. Verse 4. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak. Down in verse 6, at this sound, the multitudes come together, and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak. Uh, Down in verse 14, Peter stands up with the eleven and lifts up his voice. He addresses them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem. He he lifted up his voice. See, uh, the first mark of the church uh, and the work of the Spirit to do the work that Jesus had begun to do and now is doing in us as the Spirit is poured out on us and overflows uh, through us is is we speak up. We talk the talk. We share the good news of who Jesus is and what he has done. Uh, we are what, what Jesus said would happen. We're made into witnesses. We stand over here in the courtroom and we say, that Jesus did something amazing on the cross. That Jesus then rose uh, to give me newness of life. Then, then when I was chasing security and life and purpose over in this way and everything was falling apart, he stepped in and radically changed my life. 
That's the Jesus I worship. And we speak up with good news. We must say something. Euangelion is the Greek word for good news or gospel. The euangelion would be when uh, an emperor has a birthday. His herald would walk through the streets with euangelion, good news. It's his birthday. Let's celebrate. <laughs> good news. I've got good news. I've got euangelion. Uh, uh, you, you win a battle and everyone marches through the street and we say, we've got good news, euangelion. We've won the victory. Here the good news is. Well, Peter lays it out for them. This Jesus, explicitly about Jesus, the good news. It's repeated throughout uh, Peter's whole speech he gives in Acts chapter 2. This Jesus, verse 22 of Acts 22. Jesus of Nazareth is a man who is attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus was delivered up according to the definite plan of God and foreknowledge of God. And you crucified and killed him by the hands of lawless men. God, though, raised him up, losing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Let's see, over and over again, back down in verse 32, this Jesus, God then raised him up. We are now witnesses of this. And, and down in verse 36, let all the house of Israel therefore know for God uh, know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. The good news is all about telling people about who Jesus is and what he's done. It's the first mark of the church when the Spirit comes to be poured out to do what Jesus had prepared to do in and through the church. He says, go tell everybody. Go tell everybody about me and what, and what I've done explicitly. Here, this is how I, I'm telling you over and over again, I just share the gospel this way. Uh, if you want a simple way to share the good news of Jesus explicitly. John chapter 1 verse 12 says this, Yet to those who received him, Jesus, he gave the right to become children of God. It's a simple little verse. The right to become children of God. So here's what I say. I say, because people, they're, they're fearful of some things. They're longing for other things because, and I say, don't you know, don't, I don't say don't you know because that sounds condescending. I say, we were made for a relationship with God. John 1, 12. We were made to be his family, a son or a daughter of his. I say, we were made to enjoy this amazing relationship with him. But here's the problem. Every one of us, this is a weird word that the Bible says, calls it sin. Every one of us has rebelled, run away from God. And that means, you know, we'll do things we shouldn't do. You know, you've done some things you shouldn't do. Or we'll do good things in order to say, hey, I'm good enough, and God, you now owe me. Either of those are sin, but, but it's the same thing that Adam did. We just run away from God. We've rebelled, right? And then, therefore, we do sinful things. The problem with that is the wages, the, what, what is paid for this, and uh, sometimes I'll use uh, Romans 6.23. The wages of our sin is death. We severed relationship with the living God. And then, uh, you know, I'll take a napkin or something I'll, or, or a, a coat or something. I'll say, you know, and I'll draw a big old barrier between the two. We are severed from relationship with the living God. The, the wages of our sin was death. 
We were outcasts. We were alienated. We were outside of this relationship that we were made for. Maybe you feel that in you, don't you? You're trying to just be uh, the best worker you can be and keep uh, elevating yourself up the ladder, and it's never enough for you, is it? Or you're trying to save up enough in your bank account. You never quite feel secure. Or you know that thing you did years ago and now it created some shrapnel in your own life or the life of your family and you still feel guilty about it. It's because you're not enjoying relationship with the living God. You're feeling the wages of your uh, sin, which is death now. And then, it's terrible news, but I I love you, so I want to say it. Uh, Then you'll be severed for eternity from him. But God didn't love this situation. He loves you so much that he sent his only son. And this is when I just talk explicitly about Jesus and what he's done. He sent, he sent his son, and his son lived everything perfectly. He never ran away from God. He always lived like this. He did what God wanted him to do. He said what God wanted him to say. His thoughts were always pure. So he never had any sin to pay for. He never had a wage to pay. But then he did pay a wage. He died for your sin and my sin on a cross. He paid that wage so that this barrier could be done with. The payment had been made by Jesus on the cross. And and then, though, you you still feel this tension in your life, don't you? You, You're not secure. You want to be secure. You're you're not validated. You want to be validated. You you never quite have enough. You feel guilty, right? Well, it's because what you need to do, you need to receive that gift that Jesus gave you, that wage that he paid on the cross. And what that does, remember the verse, John 1, 21, it puts you back into relationship with the living God. Yet to those who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And then something crazy happens. God will actually dwell in you. You have an intimate relationship with him. When you're feeling insecure, you can talk to him about it. When you're feeling like you're just not validated, you haven't done enough, or you're not good enough, you can remember he has done enough, he is good enough, you can talk to him about it. When you feel absolutely alone, you know he's there. Because you're enjoying what you were created for. If you just receive him. And that's kind of how I talk through the gospel with so many neighbor, co-worker, friend, right? Like it's just, uh, God has placed all these people around us. They, they don't know. Their, their wants are misplaced. They don't realize what they are missing is that intimate relationship with the living God, right? And they don't realize that groaning in their life is because it's broken. It's not restored. We have good news. Second, uh, they speak up, right? They talk, they share, they share, but they share in their own native tongue. Now, this is a miraculous moment in this amazing epic in history, in in, in terms of uh, salvation history. This is a moment when the Spirit is coming and the miraculous has actually kind of become normal for this moment in time. Because God is doing a thing to validate the fact in a place where Jesus has never been named, his message has never been heard, and there is no church yet, right, till till the Holy Spirit comes and starts enacting these amazing, miraculous things. And in this moment, uh, they're all speaking, and they're not just speaking explicitly about Jesus. They began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gives them utterance, and and everyone looks around like, man, this is crazy, verse 6. We're hearing them speak in his own language. They're amazed, astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? 
They say it again and again. They're like, hey, we can't believe that we understand what they're saying. And, and there, there are moments, right, where God will do just something absolutely miraculous. He'll reach in and heal someone in a crazy way from cancer that was incurable. Right? He'll, he'll give a dream to a, a Muslim in Iran and will say, oh my gosh, how did that occur? And, and actually thousands being saved by these dreams. Right? And we say, praise God. Right? And, and he makes this uh, unintelligible message very intelligible by something miraculous. But often, actually, uh, this kind of tongues thing or all this kind of uh, confusing kind of stuff of the Spirit, uh, Paul will talk about in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And he'll say what that really does is kind of confusing folks who don't know God. But you know what's crystal clear, what makes all language understandable? And he'll shift into chapter 13. He'll say when the Spirit makes you so absolutely loving and sacrificial and, and give yourself away in love, that, that that's a language everyone understands. Maybe you've heard the cliche. Nobody cares what you know until they know what you care. Have you heard it? That's kind of cliche, I know. But it, that's because it's true. No one, they don't care what you know. They're not going to listen in, the, in their own language, their own context. They're not going to hear what you have to say until they know, man, you love and care them and have poured out your life for them. And then when you share this crazy message, which is just about how this God sent his son who then dies in our place, and it's just unintelligible, right? They, but they know, man, I, I, I trust this person. I, I love this person. They have poured themselves out for me. I'll listen to this person. You have normal relationship with them, regular, consistent relationship. You've hung out and watched soccer together, right? European Cup, right? Like you, you said, you, you have, uh, you've watched some football together, right? You have uh, sat around your fire pit together. You have enjoyed relationship with this person. And then there come these moments where the Spirit gives you words. And, and Paul will talk about it in Ephesians 6, 19 to 20. He'll say, man, pray for me that words would be given to me that I would fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. Pray that I would just do it fearlessly and boldly. And then we pray, God, you, you, you've given this bridge of love that the gospel message can go across and be heard. And, and now you've given me words that I might share. Now, Lord, would you, would you make them hear? Would you open their ears? Would you bring a dead man or a dead woman to life by the gospel? Uh, this family of ours, they've started doing foster care. Uh, they did the whole class for Montgomery County. They just kind of, now they're waiting for a child. And that's kind of created a stir in their neighborhood, right? And so the neighbors and, and coworkers and friends have asked them, why are you doing this? And so for a little while, they're just saying, we want to be, you know, want to be kind and loving to people, and these kids need help. And, but then we're eating sushi, and he's like, but I want to I kind of be more explicit about the message. So we just talked it through, and he goes, no. And so he says, okay, I got it. So we're talking it through, and he goes, I'm going to use this little line we talked about where uh, – I'm going to share this thing, and, and I'm going to say first, this is going to sound a little weird, but can I share the story of the Bible and how it connects to why we're doing this? So this is what he's going to do. He's going to say, when someone asks him, why are you doing foster care? He's going to give the normal answer. We want to love people. We want to care for people. You know, we, God's been so generous to us, they'll even say, and we want to be generous to others. But then he's going to say, but this may sound a little weird, but can I tell you the reason why? And then he's going to share how, how he was alienated from his own father, God, who he's created to be in relationship with. But, but then uh, God ran towards him and made him a son by grace and talk about Jesus and what he's done and how he wants that to shape every piece of their lives, the way they love other people and the way they welcome in those who are, who are outcasts and particularly these vulnerable children. 
And that's the gospel, right? And he can talk it explicitly in a way that someone might understand it. And then he's going to pray like crazy, God, would you open their eyes? Because that's a shocking message, which is hard to understand. And the Spirit must do his work to open eyes. But our job is simply to share. And we see that next, right? Because as, God, as the Spirit comes and makes us say something and say it in their language, uh, wrapped in love, then we see, gosh, people are either going to reject or receive. This is how you know if you're living as the church marked by the Spirit and if you are living as a Jesus follower, there are people around you who are either rejecting or receiving Christ. It's not your job to make someone believe, right? But you, you, you and I, we ought to see people around us either rejecting Jesus or receiving him. Uh, notice what happened. They are amazed, verse 12, and, and all were amazed and perplexed in chapter 2, saying to one another, what does this mean? And that's one response, right? And then that, a whole bunch of them, 3,000, come to believe in Christ. But here's the other response, verse 13. Others mocking said, they are filled with new wine. I love that. They, they say they're drunk. We can't trust these fools. Peter, that's when he stands up with the eleven. He lifts up his voice and he addresses them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. These people are not drunk as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. I love his reasoning. It's only 9 a.m., it's only 9 a.m. They're not drunk. They are sharing with you in your language that you would hear what Jesus has done and you would believe and find life. But some receive and some reject. Uh, there was this family. Uh, they had started doing the Stroller Striders Club. This uh, kind of hang out with moms, walking strollers. And this one gal got connected with someone in our church. And they, over time, they share the good news, the gospel. And this person comes to Christ. And then uh, we're sitting, and we're hanging with our family. They're all kind of connected to the church, and then the husband is kind of sharing. Where I'm getting it, and I literally kind of did this. Hey, you know, you were creating, this is over some bourbon in our backyard. And we're talking, right, and uh, just sharing about how he's created for a relationship with God. And he steps back, and he says, you know, that answers really all the questions I've ever had about life. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. He goes, I just don't believe it. Okay. What can you do, right? But you pray, Lord, would you open eyes? And, and look, we hang all the time still, he and I and this family and connected. And I love them, and I love them so deeply, and vice versa, I hope. And, and it's a joy, but people will either receive or reject Christ. They're not receiving or rejecting you. They're receiving or rejecting him. And see, uh, Peter, he gets up. He's, this is like what we all hope for. He's sharing at the end of chapter 2 and verse 37 and following. They hear this, uh, that... Peter looks at him and says, you crucified him and you got to believe in him. They hear it. They're cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you'll receive the gift of the Spirit. God himself is going to dwell with you if you just believe and embrace him. The promise is for you, your children, all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord God calls himself. And then look at verse 41, those who received his word were baptized. They were added that day about 3,000 souls, 3,000 eternal souls who will spend eternity with us worshiping our God together because Peter on that day spoke up. 
We'll meet them all. That's what we long for, right? But I'll tell you what, over the past nine years sharing the gospel, uh, look, people in this area are never going to come on a Sunday morning and just show up and say, I'm going to check out a church. Or maybe, maybe you're here, just kind of showed up, and praise God, so glad for that, right? But that's not the normal, right? Like, uh, we have to move towards people, build relationship, go deeper, share the good news, pray, share the good news again, pray, answer questions, think through, say, I don't know on that one, over and over again, and pray that the Spirit would work to open eyes and embrace hearts, and, and people would uh, trust in Christ and be saved. Over nine years, this has only happened a handful of time in my life. Where a guy on my back porch says just a few months ago, Matt, I believe he's my savior. And I just say, whoa, praise God. But how many other friends have said, I just don't believe a lick of that or didn't even want to have the conversation. But man, when you get to see it, oh man, it's just joy like you've never seen when God changes somebody's life. See, I think we all want these moments. We just kind of wonder how. And, and there's a simple tool we have been handing around the church for the past few weeks and, and for years, actually, the to whom how tool. You can pick it up on the back here as you go, or you can get online on our resources page under the media tab. Simply it says this. Look, look, think about three people in your life and list their names and begin praying like crazy for them. And then secondly, just get closer to them in proximity, both relationally and in, in, in space, right? Like, get closer to these people in relationship and, if you need to, in space. If, they're, uh, if they like to play tennis, go play tennis with them. If they are at, uh, in that uh, end of your uh, workplace, well, well, go hang out at that end of your workplace at the end of work and get to know them. If they live next door, well, invite them over for dinner, right? Like, get closer to these people, and then over time, just start asking lots of questions and listening for where's God at work. Where would this be good news to them? What are they fearful of, and how does God's restored relationship meet that fear? What are they longing for, and how does God's relationship with them meet that longing? Is it security? Man, let them know they can be secure. Is it self-worth? Man, let them know they're so deeply valued, so deeply valued that the Son of God was sacrificed for them. Is it purpose and grand purpose? Let them know they're not going to find it in that nonprofit. They're going to find it serving the living God. Listen, just listen for people. Uh, Here's a few tips, right, Uh, from just years and years of doing this. I I have to do this professionally. (laughs) Here are some tips. This is a movement from kind of going from not in relationship to dating, right, in a sense, and then going deeper in relationship that we can share the gospel explicitly. So first, just drop some hints. Just drop some hints, right? You can say something like, I was reading my Bible yesterday, and really? Or I went to church yesterday. You're just dropping little hints out there. I live in a different kind of way maybe than you live or others live. And then uh, here's my hint. I'm a pastor. Ooh. Right? And then uh, they know now, oh, you're this weird kind of Jesus follower, right? So you drop some hints. But then extend relationship. Go a bit deeper. Here's uh, one of my favorite lines, right? In the dating relationship with neighbors, coworkers, friends that don't know Jesus. Hey, do you want to grab coffee? I'd love to hear a bit more of your story. Hey, do you want to grab coffee? I'd love to hear a bit more of your story. 
Or just do something fun repetitiously. I found fire pits to be wonderful, right? Or, or go play pickleball together. I'm going to go play pickleball with a friend this coming week, right? Just hang out repetitiously. And then here's a powerful one. Integrate your life as you're going deeper, right? You got your church friends over here. You got your work friends, your neighborhood friends. Well, well integrate your life. Next time you do a cookout with your church friends, right, invite a couple neighbors, coworkers, friends, and, and do it together. Right, next time uh, you go play tennis, uh, you go, invite somebody who doesn't know Jesus and do it together, but invite somebody from church too. Play doubles, have a few more of you. Take your relationships and bring them together because then what you'll see is, is people are going to meet some of these Christian friends of yours and say, they're not like who I thought Christians were. Like, I thought you guys were all Trump-loving, bigoted, uneducated fools, but this guy I kind of like. Right? In this area, that's how it functions. Extend the relationship. Then I found a platform really helpful. A platform where you can have some spiritual conversations more repetitiously. So here's how I typically do this. There's a book called Encounters with Jesus. Uh, and there's this other book called Jesus the King. They're great little books that walk through Jesus' life and moments in his life just straight out of the scriptures. And they're wonderful books to read together. So you can say to a friend, a neighbor, a coworker, hey, would you like to read this book with me? Or hey, would you want to gra grab a couple friends and I'll grab a couple friends and we'll just read this book together? We've had some spiritual conversations and, and this one does a great job just laying out kind of the life of Jesus and what he's done. Right? Or it's Christmas time. Hey, reading this book, Hidden Christmas, it just gives the, the main message of what Christmas is all about. Would you want to read it together? Or invite this person to, to your 3D group or your community group, right? Or, or Sunday morning where they can hear about who Jesus is and see Christians live together, right? There you can have platform to then say something like, hey, this might sound a little weird, but can I tell you the story of the Bible? And then you share the story of who Jesus is and what he's done and how that then connects. It's good news for us. You might say, man, this sounds, this sounds like people are projects, not people. Uh, that is only true if this is not true. If this is not the reality of what is true, that Jesus has actually given us life and otherwise we have death, then, then this is unloving or, or just uh, makes people into projects. But, but you know what I most desire? That my neighbors would get to know the living God and it would radically change their lives. And I love my neighbors. I love my God. I want them to meet each other. And also, have you ever unintentionally loved anyone? No. You have to be intentional. I have to be intentional about the way I love someone or move towards someone in order to do so repetitiously and effectively. You will never unintentionally love a neighbor, a coworker, a friend, or your spouse. You must be intentional in the way that you live in love with the gospel. We are getting to just fall in love with some of our neighbors, uh, some of our closest friends. And, uh, you know, even to the point where, you know, last night uh, a neighbor's friend was over playing lacrosse with our kids out in the backyard. And we had a little bit extra grilled chicken and just pinged them with a text. And they came over and ate too. And you know what he said when we left? See you later, family. I love it when he says that. Because <laughs> he's family. I just love this guy. And he wants, he knows that I, I love Jesus and want him to deeply know Jesus. One of my favorite compliments, this guy, this Buddhist guy, was, uh, is coming to one of our uh, 3D groups on Wednesday night and um, just studying the Bible together. And 
And one time at the end of 3D group, he says, uh, hey, if I end up not believing this stuff, can we all still be friends? Totally. Yeah. Totally. I love you. You love me. Like this, I'm so glad you're hanging. I'm so glad you're wrestling with this stuff. But like, in one sense, I don't care if you ever see I love you. And vice versa. I just want to highlight the second one. We'll spend the next couple weeks in this idea of what the Spirit does to make us a church and continue the work of Jesus in us. The first thing the Spirit does, we've just talked about it, is we talk the talk. We declare the good news of Jesus. The second thing the Spirit does is He makes us a community that demonstrates the gospel, that lives out the effects of the gospel together, that He comes in and He radically transforms us. See, we're not uh, this church where we say, hey, it's all about a building. Come here, come here, come here. But we are a people who live outward. And look at what the community that the Spirit creates in us as we demonstrate the gospel. This is verse 42 and following of chapter 2. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship of the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day they attended the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. See, the Spirit comes, and not only do we shout about who Jesus is, we live in response to who Jesus is. We, we, we cling to the teaching of the apostles and Christ, but, and we enjoy fellowship with each other around the table and in prayer. But, but man, we give our lives away. We sell our lives. We, we overflow with the abundance that God has given us to bless others. And, and so much so that like there's non-believers hanging in and out and, and over and over again. The Lord is adding to our number daily those who are being saved. See, the best kind of community, I guarantee, that you've ever experienced in your life has been shaped by the fact that it lived for something bigger than itself. The best kind of community lives for something bigger than itself. And that's just what the Spirit does when He comes and shapes our community here around the well. You know, think about a football team or a soccer team you're a part of. And you, you live to get that state title, so a bigger purpose, or the magicals or the orchestra, to play that piece perfectly, right? Or the army unit you were a part of. we got to win this war. And what happened? You linked arms. You went deep. You shared transparently. You fell in love with each other as you live for the mission together. That's what God has called us to, that we would add to our number daily those who are being saved by His grace. And so I'll just close by asking, well, how do we do that here? Now, a simple tool we have is called grant proposals. Uh, here's, a, here's how a grant proposal works. You or someone in your community says, I want to overflow the resources of the church to, to bring grace and, and support and care and mercy uh, to those outside of the church. And either by celebrating or serving those outside of the church. I want to build relationship by having great celebration and meals and fun stuff together with those outside of the church. I want to serve like crazy those outside of the church. So a celebration might be this. You'd say, hey, I want 500 bucks to throw a COVID meal. Well, what's a COVID meal? Well, I made this thing up. And I'm going to have a big COVID cookout. And my community group's going to host it with me. And what we're going to do is invite all our neighbors, coworkers, and friends. And we're going to get together and we're going to say, hey, the well, this church nearby, said they think it's really important that people reconnect after COVID. 
because people are so isolated and what that done to our mental health and our kids and our relationships. So, so we just want to throw a party and you're invited. What do I have to do? Nothing. Come and eat. Great. So you each invite three or four neighbors, coworkers, or friends that don't know Jesus and you throw a party together. And then you just say during the party, you're hanging out at one table together and you say, hey, let's everybody share something that was really hard in COVID this past year, but something that was awesome too, what was great about it. And you just share. Now, maybe if the Spirit's moving in that conversation, you're looking for those moments too. Maybe at the end you say something like, hey, would you guys mind if I just prayed for everybody? And it'll be a little awkward, but then you just pray. Lord, thank you so much for carrying us through this year. You've been so generous and kind to us. Thank you also that our church got to pour out resources to help other people this past year. We love you and we're grateful for this meal together. Amen. Right? Relationships have gone a bit deeper. Jesus has been talked about. And you say, man, where might those relationships go? How might the Spirit work? So uh, fill out a grant proposal as someone in your group or your whole group together and do something like that. Or serve. Serve like crazy. Uh, this past week, uh, this refugee gal, Mama Julu, is moving from uh, unstable housing to now uh, a permanent stable home where, where God's going to really meet her and, and bring stability in her life. I got to see two community groups just fire off tons of emails saying, oh, I'll buy her a bed. Or, oh, hey, we'll help with her home decor. Uh, hey, we'll, we'll do some uh, food um, uh, cars. We'll, we'll, we'll help out. We'll jump in. We'll, we'll be a part of that movement. I've seen folks jump in with Title I schools and say, hey, how can we serve you? We've got $500, $1,000. What can we do to serve your school? It's summer school. Your, your, your teachers are so tired. Can we just make gift packets and put little Starbucks cards in them and write a note that says the well loves you and we're praying for you? What would it look like to pour out blessing? Then to invite a neighbor or a coworker, or a friend to serve along with you at a service project. These grant proposals are available. And we want you to use them. Please do so. Uh, you can email uh, uh, info at the wellsilverspring.org for any of these three areas we'll get you plugged in and, and help you serve and fill out a grant proposal and get you funds to do it. Why? Because Jesus has ascended. He's poured out his spirit on us that we would demonstrate and declare the gospel. That we would continue the work that he began when he walked this earth. He's a promise-keeping God. He does just as he says. And, you know, there's this amazing passage that Second Peter chapter 3, and, and people are questioning because, like now, you're looking and we're wondering, well, when's he going to return? Are you, you know, can we, is he keeping his promises? And, and Peter says, the Lord, he's not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but he's patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish. That's why we're still here. That's why we're still here. Because the Lord lived a perfect life in our place. He was slaughtered in our place on a cross. And then he sent his spirit to make us his people that would declare the good news of who Jesus is and what he's done. That people would find salvation. That they join those 3,000 people in heaven that believed that day when Peter spoke up. And he resurrected to give us newness of life, that we would enjoy relationship with the living God and we would enjoy overflowing the blessing of God, that his whole creation would be redeemed and restored. All that we long for, he would do in and through us, his local church, as we wait for his return. And he longs, he wishes that none should perish. That's why we're still here. 
So let's be a people who speak up, who talk the talk. Let's be a people who walk the walk and, and demonstrate the good news of the gospel as we declare the good news of the gospel because of who Jesus is and what he has done. So this morning, if you're trusting in Christ, would you just remember what a great Savior you have? And with the love that he has for you, compel you to speak up and then to walk out the message of the gospel. Let's take and eat and rejoice over who our Jesus is and what he's done.